Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, July 6, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster Only, working from a hotel in Atlanta, where tonight uh, we will broadcast the Cardinals against the Braves. And Sarah Abbott is in Bristol, and she's a little chapped. Like, we're going in, Sarah, today. Like, you you want a piece of Todd Radom over the weekly quiz. Yes, I have receipts. I have proof that I had four wins going into this week. Four. <laughs> okay, we're going to present the evidence coming up to Todd Radom and see what he says because he is the chief executive of the weekly quiz. All right, last night, future Hall of Famer Max Scherzer was back on a major league mound in Cincinnati, and he was ridiculous. 0-2. Swing and a miss, strike three. Outstanding performance by Max Scherzer tonight. His 11th strikeout, his season high. Wayne Randazzo on WCBS with that call. So Max Scherzer, 11 strikeouts in six innings, but the Mets offense could not score. And so this is how the game ended. Reds will take a win any way they can get it. The 2-1 pitch. Breaking ball, rip, center field, going back on it, the center fielder, Nimmo, he makes the catch. Fam will tag and score, and the Reds walk it off on the sack fly to center field by Mike Moustakis. That from 700 WLW, Scherzer was great. He spoke to the reporters after the game about his outing. Felt great. Um, no issues whatsoever today. Felt strong. Uh, all the way through, uh, never tighten up on me, so that's that's a good thing. Aside from the health and, and obviously the types of results you got tonight, what were you happiest with in your first game back? Um, that I was able to locate the fastball then, but most importantly, I uh, really felt like I had a really good slider tonight. Um, my rehab starts, my uh, slider really wasn't sharp, it wasn't breaking the right way, and uh, over this turn, you know, in my bullpen really, I thought I found something on my slider. Uh, that I knew I was going to need it against this team um, and was able to execute that uh, and make that adjustment. Uh, and I felt like that pitch really helped me um, navigate their lineup tonight. Steve Gelb's asking the questions for SNY. By the way, the Reds are going to be right in the middle of the trade market coming up. Jeff Passan's going to tell you how. Meanwhile, in Atlanta, the Braves beat up on the Cardinals. It's 2-2 pitch on the way, and it's lifted to right and deep, retreating Capel at the wall, and it's gone into the top house. Two-run home run to the opposite field for Riley, and it's 3-1 Braves. On the way to a 7-1 win, that from 680, the fan, Atlanta, now just two and a half games behind the Mets. The guy who should probably start the All-Star game for the National League was back in action. 1-2 to Stassi. Got him swinging. Number 10. 100 miles per hour. Sandy Alcantara into double digits and strikeouts for the eighth time in his career for the second time this season. That was Glenn Geffner, 940 WINZ, and Sandy spoke after the game. Uh, he said one of the one of them, you know, but I think uh, all my games being uh, really good, you know, I think my consistency that I've been doing, you know, just went outside every fifth day, you know, fighting for my team. I think that's uh, really good. The ones who get it done is brought to you by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, backed by 24-7 support and access to product specialists. Call, click Granger.com or stop by. Bryce Harper has three pins in his left thumb, a cast on his left hand, uh, but he expects that he will be back. He spoke with reporters on Tuesday. Uh, I'll be back. I'll be back. You'll win. I don't right now, but I'll be back. I don't want to hope or think about anything. I just want to, you know, go day by day and and be back when I can, Um, whenever I feel healthy, whenever that is, to to be able to help this team win. Um, You know, if we're in it, if we're out of it, I'm going to come back and play no matter what, just so I know that I can, you know, go out there and play the game. Um, I don't want that to be my last day playing, you know, this this year. Um, that game in San Diego. So no matter what the outcome, I'm going to come back um, and I'll be playing. So, um, you know, I can assure myself that I can go out there and play the game, you know, at, at a high level that I want to. And the Phillies won that game. By the way, Bryce Harper sounding a lot like the Terminator. I'll be back. Yep, and he's that potent in when he brings the Phillies lineup. Red Sox manager Alex Cora gave good news on the team's injury front, telling reporters that Chris Sale 
scheduled to pitch a five-inning minor league rehabilitation start today. Nathan Avaldi also making progress. So the addition of starting pitchers could help the Red Sox bullpen with the dominoes falling uh, in that direction. The Orioles and Rangers played a wild game last night. Baltimore was down to its last out when this happened. Here's a pitch. He swings. Deep fly ball. Right field. Calhoun is back. Ruben at a door against his former team has just tied this one up. Two outs. Bottom of the ninth. Don't count out the Orioles just yet. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, Taylor, you would agree with me. If you're going to hit a home run, that's what it should sound like. Play that sound again about Odor's home run because that was a bomb. Here's a pitch. He swings. How about that, Taylor? Would you agree with me? That was a crack of the bat. Oh, yeah. And I know there were only like 7,000 fans at Camden Yards last night, but all 7,000 were going bananas as soon as the ball hit the bat there. Well, they're going bananas again in the 10th inning because this happened. The 0-1 for Moore. Line drive to the gap in left center, and that's down. Cedric has done it. In comes McKenna, and the Orioles have walked it off again. It caps off a wild one in downtown Baltimore. The Astros survived a slugfest with the Royals, and, of course, Jordan Alvarez was right in the middle of it. 2-1 is hit in the air, deep to left center. It sends back Benatendi onto the warning track in front of the visitors' bullpen, and it's gone. Just into the Landry's Crawford boxes for Jordan Alvarez's 25th home run of the year. And the Astros' lead is 9-6. to Robert Ford, KBME, 790 AM. With that call, the Astros, because the Yankees were shut out by the Pirates last night, the Astros now only four and a half games behind the Yankees for best record in the major leagues. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, another day, another podcast with ESPN in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions. Uh, We're talking Courtside Club today. Grab your popcorn and sit courtside with host and influencer Rachel Demita as she chats with the biggest athletes, celebrities, influencers, and creative minds. Rachel and her guests dive into sports, pop culture, and the experiences that made them who they are today. That's Courtside Club. You can listen to that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you did not catch yesterday's episode quite yet, or you want to revisit it, either way is fine. Uh, Check out Buster and Tim rapping on ESPN uh's YouTube page and when I say rapping not like actually rapping just talking about the weekend's action but it's a it's a great watch uh we do it every week generally on Mondays yesterday it was Tuesday so again ESPN's YouTube page Buster Tim check it out you can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish yes the clutch hits the strikeouts grand salamis web gems with nothing on your roof So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get passing covers baseball for ESPN. Jeff, how you doing this week? 
I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay because we're not so close to the trade deadline. I'm starting to feel that adrenaline begin to kick in when the when the, the you know it's the first day of July. You're like, oh my god, it's right around the corner. <laughs> yeah, you know? the, yeah, except it, it's it's been a little odd because it's August second this year, which we, we've had July thirty first burned into our heads for so long. And then it's July 30th last year. And now it's August 2nd and it's bouncing around. I understand. I'm just, it's taken me a little while to get used to like those extra 48 hours might kill me. <laughs> well, the trade deadline kills us every year, right? Uh, the, fair the point. twists and the turns and, and that's uh yeah, it, it feels like there's like this mountain of stuff that's going to happen here in the next month, but we're sort of in a calm right now. Uh, within that, Today, uh, you had a story posted on ESPN.com about the state of starting pitching around the majors. What did you learn? It's grim, and and it's not grim because of the starters themselves. It's grim, I think, because of what's expected of them, because of this evolution that we've seen in baseball that really has has been going on for upward of a hundred years now. I mean, you have to look back at what was expected of the starter in the 1920s into the 1960s. Uh, But I think there, there have been two sort of seminal moments that have changed it. And that was really in the eighties when the expectation to complete games uh, was not, uh, uh, you know, it faded away a little bit uh, as as arm injuries became more prevalent, as Tommy John surgery became something that more and more pitchers had. Uh, but really, if you look back at 2013, uh, there there was uh, there was a five man rotation at that point, and guys were throwing 200 innings less than they had in the past, but still doing it. Um, and then a story came out on Baseball Prospectus by Mitchell Lickman, and it talked about the times through the order penalty. And teams had realized that, you know, longer a pitcher goes through a game, the less effective he tends to be. But I'm not sure that a lot of people in baseball understood just how stark that actually is. And what used to be something that if you're a starter not going through the lineup for a third time, you absolutely failed. Teams now looked at, like, if you're a starter going through a lineup the third time, we've failed. We haven't put our team in the best position to win. And when that happens, starting pitching innings absolutely cratered to the point where they are now. The average start in the big leagues is 5.15 innings. The average start in the minor leagues is 4.23 innings. And and we've been left in this position where – Less and less is being asked of starting pitchers who have been in baseball's past the marquee attraction of games. How often anymore, Buster, do we look at a starting matchup and feel like this is an event? It's just not there because the the de-emphasis of the starting pitcher has been so stark. And so when... uh... You know, we had a conversation about service time manipulation, you know, privately with folks, uh, with baseball executives. I, I, it was amazing because they would run through the rationale off the record because no one would acknowledge it on the record. Uh, they would run through the rationale and then I'd say, well, how do you feel about it? And, and a lot of them would say, I hate it. And I get the same reaction to this trend with starting pitchers where it's like, okay, you know, I understand that the idea of, of running out all these relievers and not counting on starters as much. Uh, how do you personally feel about it? And what I got back, uh, get back all the time from folks who grew up as baseball fans like you and I did, they can't stand it. What, uh, what type of reactions did you get from people in the sport about this? Pretty strong ones. People have really, really strong opinions on this. And what it comes down to ultimately, and this is a battle that other sports are facing as well, it's efficiency versus entertainment, right? So you look at the NBA and organizations realize the three-point shot was undervalued. It was undervalued because if you went and made one, let, let's say you shoot 33% from three-point range, 
that's the equivalent of shooting 50% from two-point range. And uh, teams are a lot likelier to shoot 33% from three than 50 from two. And so they started taking more threes and it changed the dynamics of the game. It was a completely different game that fans had to adjust to in baseball. I think with the starting pitcher, it's even more stark because, uh, you know, one can argue that there is something majestic about these super relievers who have been bred coming into games and throwing a hundred with these filthy breaking balls and, uh, you know, making pitching ninja, the, the Twitter star that he is and in that there's something beneficial to the relievers. But at the same time, I think Theo Epstein makes the most impassioned argument about this and, and has a solution that I think is pretty elegant, frankly. Um, and, and he looks at it like these are the protagonists of baseball games. Starting pitchers are the ones through whom the stories of the games can be told if they're allowed to tell them. But the problem is that organizations have prioritized that efficiency, that desire to win games, because that is their mandate. If you're a GM and you do not win, Buster, you get fired. So while in their hearts, they want to go back to how things were. In their heads, they say, why would I ever go back there if I found something that's more effective? And, uh, you know, I, I was talking with one general manager and he said something to the effect of, I'd love to do it. I think it would be great for the game. Just wait until I'm not a GM anymore. <laughs> and that, and I don't know who that is that you spoke with. It could be Eric Neander, <laughs> who, who's the you know head of baseball ops it, for the Rays. It could be a lot. It could be a lot of guys. Let's right. just, like that. That opinion is not unique. No, but I was going to say because the Rays, uh, how could you possibly argue with their success? Right. Yeah. And the way they've run their pitching staff, they've been unbelievable going up against these uh, financial giants in the American League East, toughest division in baseball. And on the other hand, I, I, you know, I don't know how you feel, but you sit down and you're looking at a number of games to watch. And I'm like, I don't I, I, like watching the, the seven relievers that I'm not going to know in four years. That that's the part that uh, I think that Theo is talking about. Like you yeah. need those guys to be the Hulk Hogan's of the sport, you know, the, the absolute stars of the sport. And while there's a lot of sentiment for it, I find this issue to be a lot like a lot of other issues in baseball where there might be general agreement that the sport could use some change in it. I just don't know what the end, that engine of change is going to be. I thought it might be the union. I actually had a, a union official come up to me last year and ask, Hey, what uh, to give me a pressing issue going into these contract negotiations. And I said, you guys got to find a way to restore the preeminence of starting pitchers. And it's not only, you know, good for the sport to have those superstars, the Madison Bumgarners, the Sandy Koufax, uh, uh, you know, the Clayton Kershaws, but yeah. it also helps the union. And I was a little bit surprised that there wasn't more push from within the union to do that. Because as you know, those guys have for a lot of years have been the standard bearers about where salaries are on the pitching side. Yep. No question. I, I think part of that is, frankly, what the rank and file numbers have become. Yes. There are more relief pitchers than there are starting pitchers. And the, the easiest way to change this, frankly, is by getting rid of pitchers. And that's what Theo Epstein proposes, having a cap of 11 pitchers on every active roster. And what that would do is multifold. Not only would it force starting pitchers to prioritize going deeper into games, by prioritizing going deeper into games, you wouldn't be able to go max effort on your stuff. Not going max effort and throwing more strikes and trying to induce contact would put ball in play more. So you would have more action. Um, you know, you would see a, a return of a lot of the principles that are going to dovetail with no shifts, which are going to be gone. And having this all sped up by the pitch clock, it's going to be difficult to go max effort every time anyway. So 
I, I understand it would be a wildly different game. It already is going to be a different game next year. But uh, the, the notion that that pitchers cannot adapt back to what they once were because they've tasted the sweet, sweet nectar of max effort pitching and of elite spin and of, of 25 plus inches of carry on a fastball high in the strike zone. I mean, you, you have all of these things that they've fallen in love with. Um, how about they fall in love with complete games? Uh, we, we have, and, and I'm sorry, I, I know I sound like an old man here, but what, what happened Buster is that in an effort to try and keep pitchers healthy, baseball peeled back and back and back on what it asked of its pitchers, what it asked of its starters. We went from a four-man rotation to a five-man rotation. We went from 150 pitches a game, which admittedly is absurd, to 120, which really isn't necessarily, to 100 and even below now. And, And what have we found? Injuries are no better. They're not. $100 million-plus already have been lost to arm injuries on the injured list this year and billions in the past. And the reason that guys aren't staying any healthier is because they didn't replace fewer pitches with less stress and strain. They just changed the way that they pitched. And so the combination of of the max effort pitching uh, with the fewer pitches has led to these one inning burst guys that you see now who come in, have this goofy stuff and don't have to do something like, you know, navigate a lineup three times through. And so many of those guys are winding up in the injured list because they're like the, you know, they're like the, 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 the Lamborghini that's redlining, and yeah. then breaks down and they don't wind up lasting, but they, they are, it, it's amazing. Here, because, here's, uh, the, here's the thing, Buster, we don't need a bunch of Honda cords. That's not what this is, is arguing. I think that there can be, um, I'm not much of a car guy, but I think there can be like Mercedes AMGs, like classy and yet under the hood, there is some thunder. And it's going to it's going to be there for you and be strong and and take you a long way. There's a lot of need of that type of guy in the uh, trade market. I think you would agree (laughs) with me as I make my transition to uh, to what we're going to talk about. Elegantly done. Thank you. (laughs) Veteran podcast host. (laughs) Uh, Before we get to August 2nd, give me a team in your eyes most in need of a of a, a deal to augment a part of their team. I have a clear number one in my mind. What about you? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, is it bad that I'm sticking in the – this may not be a team that ultimately is a huge threat to win a World Series, but the Minnesota Twins need a starting pitcher in the worst kind of way. They just keep running through guys, whether – uh, it's it's Chris Paddock, Chris Archer now on the injured list. And I think the Twins have a lot of the elements in place to be a, a dangerous team in October. Uh, but they need that starting pitcher. And I don't know if it's Frankie Montas. I don't know if it's Luis Castillo. But they need that bigger name guy. I got the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, when I look at their everyday lineup, look at their bullpen, their defense, adapt all those young players they're trying to integrate. Yep. They clearly have a surplus of guys. They are in a position to make a deal. And, and who knows about Frankie Montas? And by the way, I, you and I, a lot of times, you know, you wait for information on these injuries. He left the game on Sunday. The Still Oakland don't have MRI results. By yeah, they're apparently the, only, uh, the results are only being sent out there by horse and buggy because you know that <laughs> – they probably have a pretty good idea what's going on, but other teams are waiting to see because he was perceived to be the potential number one. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm even calling the Reds, who probably are not predisposed to talking with you about Luis Castillo uh, in some kind of deal, but they need that guy. <laughs> they need a number one type guy, number two type guy, so that not only, you know, perhaps run down the Brewers in the National League Central, but also to be a threat in, in what feels like a superpower postseason in the National League. And and it would be interesting if the if the Cincinnati Reds were and, and listen the Cincinnati Reds are a team that has 
approached Luis Castillo in the past with contract extensions that has tried to get Tyler Maley locked up. Um, what would happen if Luis Castillo were off the market? I don't know that that's going to happen necessarily because he is so clearly at this point the number one guy. Um, but if he were to, to be taken off the market, what do, what do some of these teams do in terms of starting pitching to to help themselves? Like, is is there anybody out there who's a real difference maker and game changer? No. Uh, you know, the type of guy that I think a lot of people, you know, that – C might become available, be like like guy like Kyle Hendricks, but even he went out of the game last yeah, night. Shoulder last too. night. Yeah. So th- there is not there is slim pickings, and you're right. You know, Twins would be a team that could use that guy. Cardinals for sure. Uh, I'm just going to throw teams at you. Give me 30 seconds on what you've heard, what you expect. Dodgers. Um, you know, as much as it looks like the Dodgers want to would want to prioritize their bullpen at this point because they've had a number of injuries and ineffectiveness from Craig Kimbrell. I'm not sure that they're going to be out there swinging the big deal. It, they they always seemingly take a big swing uh, in July at this point. Uh, I wonder if that is a starting pitcher, which is odd considering the starting pitching depth that they've had, but that's been uh chipped at by walker bueller's injury um you don't know what you're going to get from kershaw now chris taylor's out um the dodgers have a lot of ability to do a lot of things but they're counting on blake trining coming back on dustin may coming back um on tommy canely coming back and they feel like there are enough reinforcements there bullpen wise where that may not be the area they need it yankees um what do the Yankees really need? I, and and that's sort of a rhetorical question. I, I know every Yankee fan is going to scream at me, a left fielder! And, and I get that. But if the Yankees stood pat, would that be the worst thing, Buster? No, but I would say I look at Andrew Benintendi, the type of player that he is, the postseason experience that he has, uh, you know, the fact that he puts the ball in play, gets on base. And I think in the short term as a rental, I, I'm, I'm, if I'm Brian Cashman, I'm, I'm doing what I can do to do that. See, that's, that's interesting because Andrew Benintendi is that very unique deadline player. Everyone wants him. I mean, the low payroll teams want him, the high payroll teams want him, the big markets want him, the small markets want him. When Andrew Benintendi goes, I think Kansas City, it, it better get an absolute haul for him because the interest is frankly just off the charts from everyone there. I've heard from teams, uh, uh, when I say big market, small market, every yeah, everyone likes Andrew Benintendi and um, you know, the, the questions about him at this point are more, is he trying not to hit for power and is he prioritizing and emphasizing average? And yeah, the answer is yes. I mean, playing in Kauffman stadium is a, a different beast than other ballparks. And uh, I think what you could see if Benintendi goes somewhere else is uh, a, a return of the biceps and a little more pop depending on the stadium that he's playing. And if he's, if he's in Yankee stadium, um, you know, I know he loves going the other way, but uh, he could attack that short porch in right field uh, as much as other left-handed hitters do. Yeah. Hitting over 300, 400 on base percentage, almost. Yep. Uh, he's just been phenomenal. The Padres always interesting, typically aggressive, you know, AJ Preller's poking around. Yeah, uh, he's he's going to do something. And the, the Padres have such great starting pitching depth. You, you sit there and think, well, they're not going to do it. No, A.J. Preller is willing to, to move guys that you wouldn't think he would move and go after guys who you wouldn't think he would go after. And yet I, I look at the Padres and – uh, it, it feels like they need a bat. Like a, a Brian Reynolds would be perfect for them. I I still don't think Brian Reynolds is going to move because I feel like the Pirates are maybe on the verge of something. Um, that they're not there yet, but with O'Neill Cruz, who looks at every bit the star that his tools say he can be, um, with Cabrian Hayes. 
um, with Nick Gonzalez coming with Jack Swinsky uh, having all that power in the outfield and, and Reynolds there with um, some pitchers on the verge as well. I don't know. Pittsburgh feels a little bit like where Kansas city is, which is that you need to start adding guys to this core that you have in place and you need to start spending some money. So, uh, you know, Preller loves to go for moonshots and, and Brian Reynolds at this point feels like a moonshot. Um, but if he's willing to give up CJ Abrams, uh, you know, at that point, the pirates have to at least listen. And he's been willing to give up top prospects in the past. I'm fascinated by the decision the Orioles uh, are facing because they obviously this has been a year of progress. They're playing better. They're yes. nudging toward 500. Uh, and on the other hand, this is they're playing the American League East. There are probably four teams are going to make the playoffs out of the East. Yep. The Orioles are almost certainly not going to be one of them. What do you do if you're the ownership and you feel like you turn in the corner and you have all these marketable players? I got to say, I kind of dig watching the Orioles. Uh, you know, just some of the reclamation projects there. I've seen Jorge Lopez fail a number of places, and now he's he's throwing 99 with nasty breaking stuff in his first real full run at the bullpen. Um, but I trade Jorge Lopez. Um, uh, yeah. You know, Trey Mancini is a superstar human being and, uh, you know, a, a – great addition to any clubhouse and a leader in Baltimore and someone who's been the paragon of consistency. And I probably trade him too um, because the Orioles are getting to a point right now where uh, I, I think they, they need to start running themselves like they're going to be here soon. Like all of these high draft picks, whether it's Adley Rushman, uh, Colton Kowser, um, you know, we've seen Heston Kirstad come back finally. Um, it, it's getting to the point where they have to start to try and win. And they're not there yet. So you remain, as long as the rules are in place here, you remain in asset building. Hate to say it, but not like they got a ton of fans turning out right now who they're going to scare off with this. And uh, <laughs> it's it, it's been a pretty grim situation there for a while. And frankly, you gotta gotta see the plan through. Um, but it's we're we're getting close to nut cutting time there in Baltimore. Like they they need to start trying to be competitive. Uh, we've had enough enough tankage going on for uh, for a franchise for a while. I wonder about Cedric Mullins. I, I think he would be, for example, a great fit with the Astros. Like that, you know, you see where the Astros are. Interesting. You know. There, there's, I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I, I look at the Astros, and I see Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick and Jose Siri, and feel like among those three, they do a pretty reasonable job in center. Like it, it would be great to have a star at every position. You know, I would you if you're Houston, would you not prefer either Contreras or Josh Bell? Um, because I I understand the reticence of bringing in a new catcher at the trade deadline, especially with someone like Martin Maldonado, who's as respected as he is. Wilson Contreras is the best bat on the market, and you're going to need every little thing you can if you're the Astros to go out and beat the Yankees and or, or to beat the Red Sox or to beat the Twins or to beat, you know, the, the Blue Jays. Um, I don't know. Maybe Corey Lee takes that job. I sort of doubt it at this point. I, I, I just feel like um, Martin Maldonado is not a, not a sensitive guy. If, if you're Dusty Baker and James Click and you explain to him, we can get this guy who can win us a ring. How can, how can he not say, let's go do it? Um, Yuli Gurriel has been ineffective at first base this year that uh, to me, first and catcher are as big uh, a hole for the Astros as center field is. Well, and I tell you what, you could get Contreras and I've talked about teams along these lines. I'm sure you have too, where you bring him into a role where he's not necessarily just the primary catcher. Maybe he's actually catching a third of the games. 
certain starts. He's serving as a DH, uh, you know, shoot, maybe you teach him at first base. If yeah. the Astros is yeah. the team, uh, something. But he clearly was an upgrade he's, offensively. I mean, he's, he's played the outfield too. Right. Uh, before we go, tell us where everything stands between Juan Soto and the Nationals because that is a fascinating situation developing there. Yeah, there's there's just such a such an interesting dynamic in that you've got these sides that are talking about uh, one of the biggest contracts potentially of all time in professional sports, the most potentially new money for a contract in a, a baseball deal in history. And all of that is against the backdrop of the team being sold. And so if, if you are a potential owner on one hand, you might want Juan Soto to stick around because you've got this star. Um, you also might look at it like, why am I investing with a brand new $400 million plus dollar liability for which I am responsible. Yep. And, and I, I understand that, um, you know, $400 million for Juan Soto is like market-ish. Uh, not if you look at his numbers this year, but I, I always have faith in Juan Soto's ability to be a productive offensive player. So I think all of that will even out by the end of the year. But uh, I, I'll, tell you this if he's hitting 320 as opposed to in the 220s if he's getting on base you know 48 percent of the time as opposed to around 40 where he's at now uh it's a lot easier to up that number on the contract and sell it to this new owner and and keep Juan Soto in Washington and I got to say that as we move along here, it's beginning to develop a little. It reminds me a lot of what happened with Manny Machado and the Orioles and that they wound up selling him. You remember in his last year with the team and with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, we all knew they should have sold him before. And, yeah. and But so, hey, the Orioles got Dean Kramer out of it. <laughs> all right, Jeff. Well, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Buster. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. I'd rate him. Is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, ToddRatum.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well, Buster. How about you? I'm doing okay, but I must say, you are walking into a Jerry Springer moment. Confrontation. Uh-oh. But it's not about paternity. It's about wins and losses in the weekly contest. And Sarah Abbott is here to confront you with the results. Todd. Go ahead, Sarah. I have four wins. <laughs> four. I went back. <laughs> I went back and I found them. Please reference episode. Always about urgency. Okay. Complete hypothetical. Sarah's smile. An all-time tag team. That's four. <laughs> I am going to, at the after we conclude here, and I will get back with you, with Buster, and with Taylor directly, I will consult what I am looking at here, which is my color-coded Excel spreadsheet. Now, I cannot account for human error. There is no qu- I will give you benefit of the doubt, but there are no... There's no Italian conspiracy here. There, there are no bursting water pipes. 
Again, we don't want to talk politics, but I will. I promise to take a look, and I will not reference a score at the conclusion of today's quiz. It's okay until I have a recount. You don't need to take a look. I have the audio files. Right oh my here. gosh! Got the goods. I have it right now. I'll send it to Taylor to make it sound pretty. But so I, I, I think, in fairness to Todd. Oh, sorry. Carry on. Wow. I think, in fairness to Todd. We'll give him a week to do his research. I mean, think of him as being like the Supreme Court in 2000, right? We're having a recount, and he's going to go and ultimately decide. Oh, sorry, I just went down the road of politics, didn't I? Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll let Todd do some research using the information that you sent along, Sarah. But you were on record as contesting the results of the, this election. Yes, and I am confident. I am confident. I have the receipts. I have the proof. With that being said, I will probably get this week's question wrong, but that's okay because I have four wins. And Taylor is quite nervous about this because he was feeling very comfortable in his stand in his place in the standings, and all of a sudden, Taylor feeling a little bit more fragile with the receipts now being presented by Sarah. I knew this was coming. Uh, Sarah is a person of integrity and honesty, so I knew that. There was probably some uh, fire to the smoke that she was throwing out there. So I've, I've been bracing for this, and here we are. That's arrived. Well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see, because Todd is the ultimate authority on this. And Todd also is a person of great integrity and great credibility. Uh, we'll just see where that goes. <laughs> I, I, I have a question, which may tip the balance of this conversation. Yes. If I am not mistaken, there have been a couple of weeks where Sarah, Sarah has not been with us while we were doing this live. Uh, and it could well be that Taylor retroactively asked the question on my behalf. Is that the case? Yes, there were some weeks that I was absent. Uh, huh? <laughs> I yes. believe that we have solved the mystery. <laughs> so I'm going to go back. I will do my due diligence. I will get my judicial robes on. But I am going to go out on a limb and say that... Um, we got to the bottom of things, but let's see what we get. Wow. Okay. This means that uh, Todd's going into the weekly quiz bylaws. Uh, re again, more research is needed to do. We'll have a ruling next week, Sarah. Do you accept that? I accept it if it goes in my favor. If it does not go in my favor. Oh, so we are right I back to like, politics, aren't we? If it does not go in my favor, I would like to bring it to the Court of Appeals and have listeners weigh in. Oh, my goodness. All right, Todd, let's talk about this week's Phantom franchise. So, Buster, the New York Giants, they were running on fumes by the mid-1950s. The Giants won the World Series in 1954. The following year, they averaged but 10,432 fans per home game. And the following year, 1956, the club finished in sixth place in the eight-team National League and attendance plummeted by 24% on a year-over-year -year basis. The team finished last in the National League in attendance in both 1956 and 1957, averaging a little more than 8,000 fans per home game at the decrepit polo grounds, which Sports Illustrated called an antiquated museum. Giants owner Horace Stoneham began to discuss a team move as early as 1955. The Giants owned the AAA Minneapolis Millers and the territorial rights that came with them, and Metropolitan Stadium, a state-of-the-art Major League-ready ballpark, was being constructed on a 164-acre plot of farmland in Bloomington. The ballpark opened on April 24, 1956, and the Giants and their farm team drew a sellout crowd to an exhibition game a couple of months later, which certainly opened Stoneham's eyes to the potential there. The Brooklyn Dodgers, meanwhile, were plotting a move of their own, and in early 1957, they entered into an agreement with the city of Los Angeles to transfer the Dodgers west. According to a March 1957 document, Later released by the family of Brooklyn owner Walter O'Malley, Stoneham had, quote, made up his mind some time ago to move his franchise from New York to Minneapolis. It goes on to say, he told me that his decision was quite independent of anything Brooklyn might do. He is prepared to move for the 1958 season, end quote. By July, however, Stoneham said that he was weighing offers from Minneapolis, San Francisco, and Oakland, telling the Minneapolis Tribune, 
If Minneapolis has a better proposition than San Francisco, we will listen. O'Malley approached his longtime New York rival, Stoneham, asking him to consider the possibility of a dual move to the West Coast with two clubs easing uh, the travel situation for the National League's other team, none of which were situated west of St. Louis at the time. The Giants eventually finagled a deal that called for a new taxpayer-funded ballpark in San Francisco with very favorable lease terms and a lot of parking. They became, of course, the San Francisco Giants. But today, Buster, we are celebrating the Minneapolis Giants, who are this week's forgotten franchise. So I want to see if you agree with me on this. Uh, Horace Stoneham is kind of like the equivalent in baseball history to like Wally Pipp compared to (laughs) Walter O'Malley's Lou Gehrig. Yes, it always feels like Horace Stoneham did the wrong thing. Uh, He was there along for the ride. But Buster, there is this powerful narrative that has developed over the decades that the, you know, the Dodgers leaving Brooklyn and the Giants leaving upper Manhattan. These were franchises that were ripped apart from the the body of, of this city. And it always amazes me that attendance figures were down. The two ballparks really were falling apart. This is at a time when the neighborhoods uh, that the ballparks were in were uh, changing, certainly deteriorating in certain respects. So, uh, you know, the West Coast looked pretty darn good. And when you've got the taxpayers footing the bill for a brand new ballpark, even if it was Candlestick Park, that's got to be an appealing thing, right? Okay. So you're saying he was still a winner. You know, Wally Pipp was a big leaguer, right? He had a, <laughs> he had a good career in Horace Stoneham. And uh, he, he moved on to a better deal. So I, I, I hear you. You were polite in, in pushing back. That was very nice of you. All right, let's uh, do this week's quiz. We'll bring Sarah back into it. Sarah, are you ready to set aside the Discord and uh, go, with, go forward with this week's quiz? I am, and I will probably get it wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> As always, a one in four chance is the rule here. Before adopting their current nickname, this club was known as the Perfectos. Was it A, the Cardinals, B, the Dodgers, C, the Cubs, or D, the Guardians? Before adopting their current nickname, they were known as the Perfectos. Cardinals, Dodgers, Cubs, or Guardians? Sarah, you want to go first? So you get on record for sure? (laughs) Um, I have no confidence in this one, but Cardinals is my answer. All right, Taylor. I'll go Cubs. Uh, I'm going B, Dodgers. It jumped into my mind right away, and if I'm wrong, I was badly wrong. Well, I don't know much, but I do know that Sarah has prevailed because it was the Cardinals (laughs) who, in 1899, were known as the St. Louis Perfectos. So after we tally up what we tally up, we could have a horse race going on here. That is five <laughs> wins now. Oh, five. Wow. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Wait and see. <laughs> All right. Uh, Todd, before you go, uh, tell me what you thought of the Padre City Connect uniforms. Wow. Buster, you are colorblind, correct? I am, and the, the, based on the response I saw to these on social media, I, I should be thankful. That I am colorblind. That's kind of what I was getting at. All right, two things. We separate the aesthetics from the market speak that surrounds the release of these City Connect uniforms when each and every one of them gets out there. So uh, for those who are not familiar with them, they are a nod to the fact that San Diego is, of course, on the border of Mexico, that there is a huge uh, Latino and Latina uh, influence on the market. They are loud. Buster, they remind me a little bit, maybe a whole lot of, uh, some people have said Arizona iced tea cans. I think they remind me of the Miami Heat, uh, Miami Vice uniforms. So everything is going (laughs) to remind everybody of something else. They are loud. I will say this. The Padres have existed for over half a century, and they have had many identities over the years. For them to have yet another one, loud or otherwise, it somehow seems appropriate. So bring it on. Um, Manny Machado will look good in them. I would not look good in them. You would not look good in them. Yeah, I saw Fernando Tatis Jr. likes the idea of the bucket hats along with those uniforms. Who knows where we are? By the way, I, I 
figured out why I immediately popped into mind that the uh, the Brooklyn baseball franchise referred to as the Perfectos because they were at one point the Superbas. <laughs> well, right? the, yes, yes, the the, the Brooklyn Superbas, yes. uh, and the 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 bridegrooms as well. I don't think I'm giving any any future answers, but. To wrap it up, of that era, my favorite and the favorite of many, the Atlanta Braves of today were once known as the Boston Bean Eaters. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I look forward to next week. We have a, a the, the hammers coming down, the gavels coming down from Todd, and Sarah awaits the answer. Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, everybody. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Nick Lurkins at Banker DJ Nick writes, and Monday's episode was great and filled with my Cardinals. But how does how did, was there no mention of Arenado's weekend? Hits for the cycle one night, then has two home runs the next, one of which was part of this their historic back-to-back-to-back-to-back first inning. All right, Nick. Thanks for getting our back. Yeah, we should have mentioned that. You're 100% right. Uh, you have now, so we got that covered. Check that box. Last one for today. Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes, and I'm a little surprised that Otani is not brought up in the MVP debate more often. He has a 139 OPS plus, 147 ERA plus, and leads the AL in war per baseball reference. Did he set the bar too high for himself with last year's performance? Yeah, Mitchell, we talked about uh, on Friday's podcast, they talked about that with Jessica Mendoza. She still feels like Aaron Judge is the MVP. I do feel like unless Judge keeps up a ridiculous pace and goes over 60 homers, that Otani's going to run him down because he's adding value on both sides. And as we said over and over and over again last year, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., as great as he was, he just couldn't match that uh, the production value. So I do think that Otani, in the end, is going to wind up winning the MVP. Alrighty, that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets while you're watching games. We will be back on Friday. That's it for today. My thanks to Nick for stepping in and covering us for Monday's podcast. To Jeff, to Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.